Hello, and welcome back to Custom.Radio. On today's episode, we'll be talking to leading experts in the field of light and micro-LEDs to find out more about the lighting market and the role quantum dots play here. We'll dive into some of the most exciting applications made possible with this technology, with a focus on augmented reality and the difference quantum dot technology can make. My guests today are Yuri Maruet and Søren Stoidel. We'll begin today's conversation with Yuri Maurat, professor at Kawa Leuven. Yuri's current research interests at the Light and Lighting Laboratory include the modeling, design and measurement of novel light sources and illumination lighting systems. Basically, Yuri knows all about light, so we had to have him on this podcast. Hi, Yuri, and welcome to our podcast. Very glad to have you with us today. I'd like to start by asking you, because I know you are an expert in all things light. In fact, Kim told me you're a professor of light, which sounded very cool. So I thought we'd start by asking you, obviously, about light and the lighting industry. Can we start by talking about the current challenges in the lighting industry? What are these from your point of view? Well, before directly answering perhaps the question of what are the challenges, I think it's important to, to mention that the lighting industry has seen really a big transformation in the, in the, the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years, because the, the older light sources, the incandescent lamp, the fluorescent lamps and uh, the halogen lamps, they have been replaced by LEDs, which is, of course, a completely new technology. So these LEDs, there are completely different light sources compared to the older light sources, and the industry had to learn to work with these newer light sources. So it took, I think, uh, 10 years before the lighting industry re really adopted the LED technology. And now they have done this transformation. Most companies have successfully switched to LEDs. And now more and more companies are looking to use the unique properties of these LEDs to make new products, to make new applications that are offered with this specific technology. And, and all the new challenges are actually related to creating or using the LEDs for these new applications. That's really what is currently happening in the, in the lighting industry. And uh, thank you for that. Like, thank you for telling us a little bit about the background of it. What can we expect in terms of new developments in this world in the coming, let's say, five to 10 years from where you see things are now? And yeah. being very aware of the most recent research done in the field, where can we see it going? As I said, LEDs, they're a unique light source. So they have unique properties and they allow things that were not possible in the past. For example, an LED is a very compact light source. So it's very small. It emits a lot of light, which was not the case with the older light sources. And this allows you to combine these LEDs with optical components, uh, new optical components to specifically tailor the radiated light. So you can create very specific light patterns with relative compact optics for different applications, street lighting, car head lighting, theater lighting, and so on. In my team, for example, we're working on the topic of freeform optics. They're optical components with a completely arbitrary shape, and they can be designed in such a way that you get a completely arbitrary light shape that you want. Triangle, rectangle, whatever you want, you, you can make it. And people in the future will, will go further and they want to make these lighting systems adaptive. So 
you're not fixed to a certain pattern. You want to change the pattern as a function of, for example, if people take a different position or something's changed in, in the room, you, you can make uh, your system adaptive to that changed configuration. That's possible with LEDs and people will use these uh, possibilities. Then another unique property of LEDs is that they're very fast. So you can turn them very fast on and off. This is used already for dimming your light output, but you can do much more with it. For example, you can put information on the emitted light without people noticing it, but devices, your smartphone can notice this changing information. So you can use the, the emitted light as a data transfer mechanism. You can do optical communication with, with lighting system. This is called visible light communication. That's certainly a new trend that perhaps will be implemented in, in future systems. And then a final thing, uh, which is also very important, LEDs, they have a, a, a quite narrow emission spectrum. So you can have LEDs with a blue color or emitting blue light, green light, red light. So if you combine these LEDs together, you can create very unique emission spectra. Emission spectra that are optimized for humans so that they enhance our well-being or our performance or functioning. And you can do the same for spectra to illuminate, for example, plants. Uh, plants need specific illumination spectra. Uh, then they grow the best, the fastest. This is possible with this LED technology. And also other animals can benefit from very specific emission spectra. And these are all applications that are currently under investigation. People start to do that in horticulture lighting. LEDs are already a mainstream technology, but people are constantly pushing this further to make better and better use of LED technology. Okay, very interesting. And thank you for making that very understandable for all of us, even those of us that are not experts in light and seeing how these applications could affect our lives and, as I mentioned, the development of plants, of animals. So it's very easy to follow this train of thought. Why do we need better light systems? In my research for this episode, I wanted to see what specifically you and your research group are working on. And you're going to have to explain this one to me because I saw that you recently published a paper and I'm going to try to get the title right here, published together with a few other people, including Professor Zegerheads, who we had on our first episode. The title is Efficient High CRI White LEDs by Combining Traditional Phosphors with Cadmium-Free Indium Phosphide Zinc Selenide Red Quantum Dots. Can you tell me, please, why this is an exciting evolution and what can this enable? Yeah, um, it's certainly a, a long and complicated title. I fully agree. In order to answer it, I, I turn back to LEDs. So LEDs, they emit a rather narrow emission spectrum. So a single color, uh, blue, green, amber, red, and so on. They're made of semiconductor materials. And with certain semiconductor materials, you can make very efficient blue LEDs. So blue LEDs are actually the best. They're very efficient. They are quite thermally stable. So this is the best technology at this moment. With another semiconductor material, you can also make quite efficient red LEDs. They are a little bit less efficient and they also have some more thermal instability. So if the temperature changes, the, the performance changes. But in between blue and red, 
you have green. And at this moment, we don't have efficient green LEDs. So we can make green LEDs, but they're not efficient. And this is really a problem because the human eye is most sensitive to green light. So we are sensitive to blue and red also, but we have the most sensitivity in the green. So if you want to make white light, basically you need green light and, and we don't have the LED technology for it. You can, of course, go to the shop and buy a white LED and it is very efficient. And people have solved this fundamental problem for the moment by using a phosphor. And a phosphor is actually a, a material that converts one color in another color. So what people do is they convert blue light with a phosphor in yellow light, part of it. And then the combination of the remaining blue light with the, the converted yellow light gives you white light. That's how a, a current LED works. Now, there is a problem with phosphors. They are good materials, but they have some limitations. For example, they have a rather broad emission spectrum. So if you use, for example, a phosphor to emit the red light, which you want because you need red light in your white light, then part of your emission spectrum of this broadly emitting phosphor is lost because uh, some of the wavelengths, the human eye is no longer sensitive to it. So you generate electromagnetic radiation for which the human eye is not sensitive. So you create radiation which is not light. Now, quantum dots are very interesting to solve this problem because they have two unique properties. Quantum dots, they emit a narrow emission spectrum, a specific color. And secondly, you can tune this emission spectrum. So you can make quantum dots that emit green, cyan, red, whatever you want. So with such red quantum dots, if you combine them with another phosphor, you can actually make the optimal emission spectrum for humans. And what I mean with optimal emission spectrum, for humans, it's important that the colors that you generate are similar to the colors in daylight. You do not want to generate colors that are completely different from the colors that you're used to. So you need a specific emission spectrum in order to have a, a good color rendering, high color rendering. So this is part of the title of this publication, making LEDs, white LEDs with high color rendering, which are also very efficient. And with the red quantum dots, you can have the high color rendering at the same time with the high efficiency. And this was what we did in the paper. Now, it, it was not the first time that this was done. But in the past, it was done with cadmium-based quantum dots. And cadmium is, of course, a hazardous material. So people prefer not to use cadmium-based quantum dots. And we have done it with indium phosphide quantum dots, which are, of course, uh, less a hazardous substance. What we showed in our paper is that if you replace the cadmium-based quantum dots with the indium phosphide quantum dots, you can do that without reducing the efficiency. So you can replace the quantum dots and still have this very high efficiency for your white quantum dot based LED. Okay. And not have to use cadmium, which as you mentioned, is not a material we want to be using too much. When I first met the team at FastumDot, one of the things that they made very clear is that their quantum dots are cadmium free. And that was at the time quite innovative. Not a lot of other companies were, were doing that. Thank you for, for explaining that. 
So you mentioned quantum dots and how they're involved in, in this process. Can you tell us a little bit more about where you see the role of quantum dots in light and display applications? Basically, I see it very broadly. Every application where you want a specific emission spectrum consisting of a specific combination of colors or wavelengths because you, you're not limiting yourself to the visible domain. Plants also want some light beyond the visible domain. So everywhere where you want to have a specific emission spectrum, I think quantum dots are a, a promising material because they allow you to generate these colors in a very flexible manner with a high efficiency. So it allows you to make LED applications with a flexible tailored emission spectrum. And for many, many applications, this is important. And I have already given some examples. So emission spectra that are optimal for humans to have good color rendering. So to, to stimulate your circadian system. So we have seen, for example, in the past years that the emission spectrum of light has a big impact on the well-being on the performance of humans. If you have blue light coming into your eyes, this suppresses the sleeping hormone melatonin. It makes you more awake. On the contrary, in the evening, you do not want to have a lot of blue light. So you want to have an emission spectrum without a lot of blue cyan light. And with quantum dot-based LEDs, you can again make those specific emission spectra. So you could make a specific, specific emission spectra for the morning, specific emission spectra for the evening. And with that, you can make an adaptive system which changes throughout the day to give you the optimal emission spectrum to function good in the morning and sleep well at night. And the same with plants. So plants need in their beginning uh, of their life cycle, they need some wavelengths more than others. And, and you can play with, with these emission spectra. And, and quantum dots allows that. And that's for lighting applications. So that's very important for a lot of lighting applications for plants, for humans, for animals. And then, of course, you have display applications. And there, the story is a bit similar. You also need these specific emission spectra. Most displays, all displays at the moment, use a combination of three colors. Blue, green, and red. If you want to make a display that can generate a lot of colors that you generate by combining this blue, green, and red, you need very narrow emission spectra for the blue, the green, and the red. And again, you can do it with quantum dots. Quantum dots have a narrow emission spectrum that you can make for the blue if you want. This is not necessary because you have already a very good blue LED, so you can do with the, the blue LED. But for the green and the red, you could use quantum dots. So for display applications, this is also a very interesting feature. And if we were to think from a technical point of view, which of these you're most excited about? Because as you were describing them, when you're talking about, for example, using light for human well-being, I was thinking for me, the most exciting application would be something that would uh, help my six-month-old daughter sleep better at night <laughs> And would make her think, okay, now it's nighttime, now it's daytime. Uh, but joke aside from a technical point of view, which of these applications are most exciting for you? Is there one that comes to mind that you think, oh, I'd really wish this one became true? If I need to choose, I would choose two. Uh, one lighting application, one display application. So for 
the lighting application, so the human-centric lighting, it's for me very fascinating to work on that because in our research group, the Lighting and Lighting Laboratory, some of my colleagues are also investigating the, the impact of light on humans. For example, they go to factories, they make a lighting setting which is optimized uh, according to the principles of human-centric lighting. They try to quantify the impact that this light has on humans. Are humans happier? Do they work better? Do they make less mistakes? Or they go to elderly homes and they see, can it improve the life of people with dementia and so on and so on. So this is research dedicated to humans. And then for me, it's very interesting to... Allez, use those insights to make actually the systems. So you know that you need to achieve those colors, you need to achieve those spectra. How do you make that spectra in an efficient and flexible manner? That is then where I come in. And, and this combination is very exciting so that we can do both research aspects. So the, the, the human part and also the, the hardware part, actually. And then the second application, we, we have not talked a lot about uh, micro-LED arrays where quantum dots are a very interesting technology, again, to, to generate the spectra that you want. But for me, my main research focus is on lighting, but I also think that micro-LED arrays or LED arrays in general can be a very good enabler for advanced lighting systems because with such a micro-LED array, you can actually make very flexible adaptive lighting systems that can allow you to generate any lighting pattern that you want with any color, with any spectrum that you want. And if you start using micro-LED arrays for these very advanced lighting applications, from a spectral point of view, it would even be more demanding than what is currently needed for display applications. So I think we have not seen the end of this technology. So micro-LEDs, quantum dots, and then adaptive lighting systems. So I think uh, there is still a lot of fruitful research that can be done in that domain. For sure, it's an exciting field. And yeah, I'm sure we're just scratching the surface. And so we'll, we'll look forward to seeing what you're going to be working on in the next years, and also what companies like Custom Dot are going to be taking to, to market. Uh, Yuri, thank you so much for, for your time today. We speak soon and you tell us about more exciting applications in the world of light and lighting. My second guest today is Søren Strider, co-founder and CTO at Mic LED Micro Displays. Søren is an experienced technology development manager with many years spent transferring R&D processes from pilot line to a volume manufacturing fab. He's the right person to tell us all about micro LEDs, how and where they can best be used, and what challenges need to be overcome in the process. Hi, Søren, and welcome to, to this episode. Uh, you are the CTO of Mike LED Micro Displays, a fabulous developer of micro LED displays for the AR, for the augmented reality market. And when I went to your website, the first thing I see is the phrase augmented reality has never looked so realistic before. And I wanted to ask you if you can tell us a bit about the technology that makes this realistic look possible. What exactly are micro LEDs and how do they work? Now, I think every one of us knows LEDs. You find them in 
uh, a lot of application as a signage to give you light or actually your light bulbs are LEDs. So basically it's an inorganic material. If you apply a voltage, light comes out. The materials are bit exotic materials like gallium nitride or light aluminium, aluminium, gallium phosphide. But that's an established industry, works quite nice. LEDs, which you normally have in a lighting fixture or which you have in, let's say, a very large, like in a soccer stadium, the big screen, that are rather large LEDs, a few hundred micrometer in diameter per pixel. Now, micro LED is uh, you shrink this LED down to a size of a few micrometer. That has two different applications in mind if you look at this place. On the one side, if you shrink it down, you can do a micro displays for applications like augmented reality. Basically, what you try to do is squeeze the number of pixels of a TV into a chip, which is maybe four by six millimeter, uh, and has the same amount of pixels like your TV, but a thousand types of brightness. And that's what you need for augmented reality. The other application where people look at micro LEDs for display is basically uh, a competing product to move from mobile phone to TV, which I would call large area displays. And what you do there is you will make the small LED transfer to the glass substrate, which contains your driver electronic. And then basically uh, this creates your pixels. Now, the reason why you want to shrink for this application, the LED to something like five or 10 micrometer is, even though in the TV for itself, the pixel is maybe hundred micrometer, if you would make the LED at the same size, uh, like the pixel, the problem will start to be, hey, the material is so expensive that uh, you cannot afford the TV anymore. So you basically need to shrink the LED to make it possible that you can afford a TV with micro LEDs. Because if you don't do that, then a TV, like the first Sony TV with micro LEDs, just the material for itself used for the TV was something like 40,000 euros. Now that of course cannot be a consumer product. That's why if you shrink, however, not the size of the pixel, but the size of the LED in that pixel, then you can of course reduce the cost and come close to what the consumer product requires. Now the question of course in general is, why do you want micro LED? There are so many good technologies out there to make a display. There is liquid crystal. You most likely have an LCD TV at home or your mobile phone is very often a liquid crystal display. There is OLED. Modern, you see a lot of OLED television or most of the smartphones have an OLED display. Or there are other display categories like micro mirror displays or which you use in cinema projectors or laser scanning displays. So why do you still need something else? The reason why you like something else is because for certain application, for example, for AR, you need an amazing brightness and you need very good contrast. And micro LEDs enable this amazing brightness because they can get brighter, factor 10, 100, 1000 times brighter as an OLED. Okay, for your mobile phone, that might not matter so much because your OLED display in your mobile phone is already bright enough. But for other applications, especially where you project small display on a large surface or where you are in the outdoor environment, in the automotive environment, brightness matters a lot. You need brightnesses in an outdoor environment, which is 1,100 times brighter as what you need to have an indoor environment. And that's why you want to have micro LEDs 
And then again, for two different applications and two different manufacturing platforms, one of them is the large area displays and one of them is the micro display. Okay, so if I understand correctly, then it is more important or rather more necessary to focus on micro LEDs in the markets that you mentioned, for instance, in AR or in automotive, rather than large screens, cinema screens. And as I was doing some research for this episode, I saw that as of last year, micro-LED displays have actually not been mass-produced, although there are companies, especially Sony, Samsung, Konga, selling micro-LED video walls. And a few companies have demonstrated prototypes. Sony already sells micro-LED displays as a replacement for conventional cinema screens. I think what you're saying makes a lot more sense. Maybe we don't need that level of contrast or of detail if we're talking about very large screens or even mobile phone screens, but we do need it in other applications. Um, I was going to ask you, and you mentioned some, what are the challenges in producing micro-LEDs? And if you can tell us um, a bit more about why it makes sense to focus on smaller screens, given these challenges. One of them is cost, I presume, right? It's, it's very expensive, as you mentioned, to imagine a TV, at least with the current state of production of microLEDs entering the consumer market very easily. But what are the other challenges in producing microLEDs? Now, the microLED for itself is actually not so much the challenge because the material is a down material system, which is used for regular LEDs already for more than 20 years. There is some challenges because if you scale a pixel from maybe from an LED from 100 by 100 micrometer to 10 by 10 micrometers, there are additional loss mechanisms which reduce the efficiency. Normally, a micro LED below 10 micrometer is significantly less efficient as a large LED. That's certainly a thing which you can address. There's a lot of development effort into that, but basically you run there against certain physics limits which you simply need to excel. The real challenge actually for making a product is not so much the micro LED as how to connect the micro LED with the driver electrons. In a display, beyond every pixel, there are a few transistors which control how bright this pixel is. Now, if you look at the feature of a larger, like a mobile phone display, these transistors are made on a glass plate, and then you basically need to transfer the LED pixel to that glass plate. But you don't need to transfer one pixel, you need to transfer 6 million pixels. And those 6 million pixels need to be transferred very cost-effectively without any defects, because people don't want to see defects in their display. Now think about it, this process of transferring an LED to this glass substrate, you need to have a yield of the transfer process of 6, 9, 99.99999 because that means to have less than one or two defects. And that's actually the challenge, how to do that and how to do it cost effective. Because what you cannot do is take a micro LED with a machine and there are equipment you can do that to transfer individual single micro LED from a wafer to the glass plate. Because that would be 6 million transfer operations of a very expensive equipment and that means just the transfer for itself takes many hours, many days. So what you need to think about is how to make it more efficient to make a parallel transfer and to get that up with the yield. That is the challenge. And that's a challenge for larger displays. For the displays which we are talking about augmented, there the transistors are on a silicon wafer. On the silicon wafers for micro displays, there the pixels are not only 10 micrometer, they are two or three micrometer. And then you need to transfer them on the silicon wafer with 
perfect yield, a pixel which has a size of two, three micrometer, the rule of thumb is always uh, alignment accuracies need to be one tenth of the resolution. So if you want to uh, make a three micrometer pixel, then the alignment needs to be 300 nanometer. How to do that in production with the right cost, with the right standard production equipment? That is the challenge. And not only how to do that for a prototype, but how to do that scale in a large volume manufacturing environment so that you can do that for millions of displays, but for a cost price, which is, let's say, similar to the cost price of your mobile phone display. Yeah, that definitely sounds like very meticulous work. You'd have to be extremely patient to, <laughs> to work on 6 million. Luckily, I don't do it one by one. Uh, with my tweezer, that would indeed be very meticulous. <laughs> and so you're working on this for, for augmented reality applications. In your professional knowledge, professional opinion, is there a company that is getting close to tackling this challenge or, or really tackling it at the moment for large screens? Or is that still a dream of the future? Again, I would like to break down the answer into the two market segments, micro displays, and uh, large area displays. For large area displays, I think there has been a massive progress made. The first, please keep in mind, just a regular LED screens, not micro LEDs, but LED screens in soccer stadiums or in concert halls. They exist now already for 20 years. Companies like, for example, Belgian Barco are a big producer of them. That is a product which exists already for many years. Now you need to scale it down to micro LEDs to make it more cost-effective because those large displays cost in the hundreds of thousands of euros. Now you want to do that in the consumer market for high-end television, for video screens, indoor video screens. Basically, that means on the one side to squeeze the pixel size and to squeeze the cost. The first of those type of, uh, let's say, micro LED display TVs have been shown in 2014 by Sony. At that time, it was estimated that the manufacturing cost of that was 200,000 euro for a large TV. Already two, three years later, Samsung showed the improved version of that. And at that time, it was already cost down to something like 40,000 euro. And in the last two years, we have seen massive progress, how to do that more cost-effective. And Samsung announced for this year, they will bring out the first consumer market television. Of course, there are already now for high-end application for conference rooms, you can already buy the first micro LED screen since the last three years, but those won't cost between 50 to 100,000. Soon there will be this year, starting from uh, Samsung, the micro LED TVs for more reasonable cost price, still very expensive. The estimate is somewhere between 10 to 20,000 euro. That's already a large step down from the 200,000 euro. And there will be further progress but it will always, I think, stay in expensive technology for if you really need performance. Okay, makes sense. Now for the market segment of the micro displays, there's the story differently. There is no product out right now. Uh, and there are probably, I'd say 10, 15, 20 different startups pursuing different routes how to create it. And I think at least a dozen of the large corporations which are developing the same technology, but with very different routes how to achieve the goal. And we are one of those. At the moment, in this domain of the micro LED space, there's really one company in China which has, let's say, prototype production volumes. But I would say really high volume manufacturing is still uh, a few years out. Okay. 
So I have a couple of questions I want to ask you in both areas. So if I go back for, for a moment to the area of large screens, I also saw in my research for this episode that Apple is working on this about four years ago. They reported having 300 engineers devoted to in-house development of micro LED screens. And in November last year, there was news about Apple being again in an active development program of new products with micro LED displays. So my question here was, is it really just a matter of time before our computers and TVs use this technology? I have to admit, I don't have a TV in the house, but I do have a computer, obviously, uh, and many other, you know, smaller screens. Could I expect these to, to start using microlead in the future? And you kind of answer that, that right now it's a cost thing. Like maybe if I'd be willing to pay $40,000, maybe I would have uh, a microlead TV in the house. What would be your prediction? Is it a matter of time? Is this the future of TVs and computers? Or are we going to realize that this is not a technology that cost-wise makes sense for these screens and we're going to, to focus on using it in small screens only? I think you provided already part of the answer. The answer is the cost-benefit ratio, like for any other products. We have already very good display technologies around with your standard TV. Honestly, uh, if you go into your TV shop and you put beside each other a modern SD display, a OLED display, a quantum dot display, if you put them beside each other, you still see the differences. Uh, and if you might say, oh, the OLED display, or especially the quantum dot display is much more brilliant as the standard LCD display. But in reality, if you just observe them alone, stand alone, the normal consumer doesn't can see the difference. Actually, I don't see the difference. So then you come really back to what is the argument for going for micro LED? The argument is always about brightness and contrast. For application where you're willing to pay a premium to get better brightness and more contrast, I think there will be a micro LED will make an inroad. I especially think on outdoor displays like a smartwatch, like automotive displays like video screens, which are in a large, super bright conference environment. In those applications, I think micro LEDs will make inroads for large area, but they will be just one technology out of several. And then it's up to the engineers of the final product to decide which they take. Taking into account, I think the cost will, will for a very long term, stay significantly above what an LCD TV or an OLED TV can be achieved. And so if we look at augmented reality, which is the segment that you're focusing on, what can MicroLED specifically enable in this space? And as a, as a side question to that, because you mentioned brightness and contrast, and so image quality obviously is what is improved. Do you think that this is the main challenge in the AR market? And if we solve this, then AR will really take off? Or are there other challenges, maybe not even fully related to the technology itself, that need to be overcome? And together with image quality, we can really see this markets exploding. Uh, that's a two very interesting question regarding simply the micro LED for the AR. What the micro LED display brings there is really the brightness. There are many different ways how to implement augmented reality. Augmented reality meaning in this case that you can create a virtual object, uh, you see it and you can overlay it as you see your regular environment. And in the ideal case, the virtual object, you cannot distinguish anymore if the virtual object is virtual or real. And that's the big dream which everyone pursues. You see a virtual work flying the regular field of view, 
and you cannot see anymore is that a real bird or not. And that, of course, you can think about what are the applications, but that's a different question. There are many different optics concepts and they have different degrees of efficiency, but in general, maybe 1% of the photons which are generated by display end up in your eye. So if you did want to make an outdoor viewing experience without making sunglasses, that allows you to, of course, reduce the outside light to not need to have so much brightness for your display. But as long as you want to have transparent glasses, you need a super brightness because you need to take into account the low efficiency of the optical path. And you need to take into account that outdoor, you need an amazing brightness. So those two together make it that you look for a solution which can be super bright and still be efficient. Now, a super bright, for example, my for all of this space, which is used in few finders for camera, is two orders of magnitude less bright as is required. And you can go for LCOS, liquid crystal on silicon. There you can get more, depending on what we do for virtual reality, LCOS is much more efficient as, for example, it will be a micro LED display. But the LCOS display is a reflective display technology, which means you basically generate a lot of light and then you put the light which you end there and see is light with the, is basically all the light which you have thrown away forms the image. So that means you generate a lot of light and then throw away, and, uh, let's say if you have a virtual object, which is uh, 5% of the field of view, that means automatically 95% of the light you have generated with the electrons you throw away, but you still need it to have generated in the first place. Disregard a direct middle light wallet or an LED, basically generates only the light which you actually need. That's why it's for augmented reality, always much more efficient. If you can use a direct middle compared to a reflective display. And I don't think any of the other existing display technology, maybe DLP, the micro mirror, the micro OLED, the LCOS, can get the level of brightness and efficiency. The only one which can alternatively to micro LEDs get the level of brightness and efficiency is the laser scanning display, which you see nowadays in, for example, the HoloLens 2 has a laser scanning display from Microsoft. The problem with laser scanning is always the image quality is not very nice because Creating an image based on laser always gives uh, speckles, uh, which give a very bad image quality. Good if you have a monochrome information display, but not good if you want to have a real display. Now, if you have this great micro LED display, do you solve all problems for augmented reality and the market takes off? No. Uh, very simple, no. Because there are many other problems which you need to consider somewhat technically. At the moment, if you have a perfect display and you have the optical path, which different companies pursue, you still have issues at the moment you create a virtual image, but then you have the issue that you cannot make occlusion. For example, a real uh, object, you see a real object, the light behind it will not pass through the, uh, through the object and into your eyes. If you create a virtual object on the transparent glass, there's always some background light can go through. And how do we occlude it? There's no good solution. There are some solutions proposed in the magic e augmented reality glass, uh, adding a, a liquid crystal filter, but that immediately creates kind of like sunglass effect, which you don't want. In addition, you have always the problem still of convergence and accommodation. In augmented reality, base guide, for example, optics, you create what focal plane that image is. But your eye is used to have the natural environment, many, many, many different focal planes. 
This is what some people feel dizzy after watching augmented reality glasses. You create the impression of training by having on the right and the left eye two different images. However, those images always stay in the same focal distance, whereby the background on which you project them, if you see a mountain in the distance, it has a different focal distance as if you were look at a, a couple directly in front. And that makes people dizzy and feeling not so well. Beside that, of course, comes the simple question of what is the killer application? I always hear the question, what's the killer application? Because gaming, that's for virtual reality, quite nice. But what's the killer application for augmented reality? And I don't think anyone has a very clear idea what will be the killer application. Actually, this is one of the few applications which I know where this is actually not a question which big companies asking themselves. Because they are simply asking themselves, you know what, a mobile phone, the technology is maturing. There's not much significant improvement anymore. That means in the long term, the margin will shrink. What is the next big thing behind mobile phones, which can be this widely uh, used platform with billions of devices sold? And everyone in the industry looks at different technologies for holography, for uh, 3D TV, for, and they all say the most likely one to give this type of big push beyond the mobile phone is AR. Let's create the perfect AR experience. And then like with the first iPhone, you provide all the sensors and all the capabilities, people will come up with uh, applications and solutions for how to use it. Basically, it's not a need-driven technology development. It's a platform-driven technology development looking at the long-term future, say, what is beyond AR? It will be on actually mobile phone. So you're part of the technical solution, right? So you provide the technical environment. Here's the technology. It's ready to be used for... And then we'll see what for. I have a six month old daughter that might start crying any moment. So maybe she will figure out when she's older, what it is that, uh, that she uses this technology for. Now with remote work, there was a lot of talk about how AR might come into play there, how we might have virtual meetings that are not just using video conference, but more advanced, more natural feeling interactions. So maybe that could be one of the killer applications. Combining that with our, our need and our desire to be more sustainable, travel less, fly less for work, maybe that could be one of the applications. There are many speculations in this field. If you were to take a guess, what would be your opinion? Is there a killer application that you're kind of betting on? Um, yeah, we are in the business of providing a display audio, which is just a component, which is part of the bigger solution. And of course, I hope that the big companies which are pursuing the bigger solution including the software and the full system hardware development can provide a much clearer answer to that. Where I see it, interest is of course, just as a daily advisor in your life, for, for example, it would be very nice if you have a glasses which are lightweight and you can distinguish them from your regular glasses. If they can provide you together with artificial intelligence, the cues about if you're navigating in your environment around, it might be silly. That might be that they provide you the background information for where do you go, what do you do, overlay information to enhance basically uh, how much you can access information in your daily environment. And uh, I like this suggestion about remote working, working together. In fact, I recently saw the Magic Leap tool, and there they basically tried to work on that concept, especially for engineering projects that. Even though you are on different parts of uh, the world, you will look at the same 
hardware, which is created virtually. And everyone can walk around the motor and the turbine, which is a virtual object, and look at it from all angles and then just change it. And everyone else sees exactly that, but everyone from their own angle and their own perspective. It's actually a very powerful and impressive solution. Of course, this is more for professional application, basically as a part of a massive engineering software package like AutoCAD, and maybe in the private use uh, better versions of Skype, better versions of Teams, which at some point will have these enhanced features as well and we all will use them. Yeah, and one other application that I uh, thought would be obviously very, very useful uh, would be in medicine, right? If you have, for instance, a heart surgeon who is, I don't know, Vienna, let's say, and maybe he'd have the ability to virtually operate or guide uh, surgery uh, in other parts of the world using the art. That would be a very useful application for it. Not sure of the biggest market necessarily, because I think sometimes we have a disconnect between what is really useful and necessary and good for us. And then, you know, will the gaming industry actually be the one that, that proves to be the killer application? But I thought that was, that was, that was really interesting. Of course, the problem is that, uh, if you look something new, like a new technology, like an AR. If you want to bring that to maturity for the consumer market, you talk about uh, spending a few billion dollars in R&D. Otherwise, you will not move there. Uh, if you see some of the teams which work on augmented reality at Microsoft or at Magic Leap, just the software developer groups of all for this type of systems are a few hundred people. And then the hardware development groups are a few hundred people as well, maybe thousands of people with a huge supply chain behind. If you do it for Consumer electronic, you can distribute the cost to many more consumers and many more products. And that's why it's worth to make this giant investment. For a lot of the industrial application, it's much more difficult to justify this type of applications. And let's say for just surgery, probably you will find a tough time that uh, there would be enough finance to develop solutions. And if the solution would be the are developed, and I think there are now very good progress made for companies like Musics uh, for special industrial uh, or medical application. Or in Germany, you have the company, the spinner from Zeiss, working on augmented reality for medical application, especially. Uh, therefore, you can do something because there you are willing to compromise and specs and only focus on the few specs which are relevant for that application and have, let's say, reduced version of the hardware. But you could have, right? You could have the technology being developed in an industry like in consumer electronics, for example, and then seeing it transferred to exactly. these industries where, as you were saying, the initial investment is maybe too high, but if it's already done elsewhere, it can be borrowed technology. Great. Um, so thank you so much. This was the, a great conversation for me. I, I learned a lot, not being an expert in this field. So thank you for making it really understandable for non-experts. And for experts, I'm sure they're, they're also learning new things as they listen to you. Thank you very much and hopefully speak to you soon. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in again for another episode of Custom.Radio. Next up in this series, we'll be chatting to the founders of Custom.Dot. So come back soon to hear all about their company and how it all came to be. Until next time. <laughs>